The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome to Episode 74 of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Today, we are in Massachusetts, and we're talking about the safer alternatives to toxic chemicals legislation, and a brand-new bill to address plastic pollution from styrofoam and other polystyrene plastics. Uh, Later in the show, we'll be joined by Massachusetts State Senator Michael Barrett, who will talk with me in the second half of the show about the plastics pollution. But first up, um, my guest for safe alternatives to toxic chemicals is State Representative Jay Kaufman. Hello, Jay. You and I go back a long time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that'll be another episode for people to tune in to the tall tales from Rob and Jay back again. There we go. There we go. Also in on this conversation is Representative Kaufman's legislative director, Timothy Miley. Hello, Hi, Rob. Tim. How are you doing? So, Tim, I understand you're the technician behind this, but let's start with Jay on a more personal line about, you know, I, I know you live in Lexington and that you've been a representative for more than a few years on Beacon Hill. And you're very well respected for building consensus around issues of finance. And yet, this is a very different bill and that you've been a lead filer on. Um, how did this uh, Safer Alternatives bill come together? Well, um, I'm very, I was very honored and very fortunate to be asked to be the lead sponsor by the Healthy Tomorrow Coalition that has been, uh, had been created, oh, probably a dozen or so years or so ago. Um, that has grown in both uh, size and efficacy in that time. And they presented me with what sounded like an open-shut case for taking some of the most dangerous chemicals out of the marketplace. You know, they said when there is a readily available and a economically viable alternatives to some of the horrible chemicals that are causing uh, illness for consumers, causing uh, environmental degradation, and uh, polluting the workplace for those who are manufacturing these products and using their chemicals, um, when there is a readily available alternative, why shouldn't we be substituting? And mm. I didn't have a good answer to that question. There is no reason why we shouldn't be substituting except for a lot of inertia and a lot of bad habits. So this bill sets up a process um, which seemed to me self-evidently intelligent for making assessments of where, what, at, where's the intersection of um, reasonable alternatives for, build, for goods, for, I'm sorry, for chemicals that are clearly causing serious problems? Uh, and once that analysis has been done, then the state would step in and, and encourage the substitution as quickly as is possible uh, and provide technical assistance to make sure that that happens well so that there's not worker dislocation, there isn't uh, corporate dislocation, uh, but move us into the, into the direction of safer alternatives. And not only does this make sense within the borders of Massachusetts, uh, it makes a lot of sense globally, and it makes a lot of sense from an economic point of view because companies in Massachusetts are competing around the world, and many countries, Europe high on the list, uh, is, uh, are ahead of us in terms of requiring um, this kind of substitution or just outright banning the use of some of the dangerous substances that we still see all around us. So it seemed to me not only an act for an environmental, from an environmental point of view and a public health point of view, but an economic development point of view. That's excellent. I encourage people to 
go to the healthytomorrow.org website for more information about their leadership that Jay was referring to. And Elizabeth Saunders was my guest for Episode 71 a couple of shows ago. And, frankly, it was such a bummer learning about the 80,000 synthetic chemicals that are produced and maybe have replacements for them and stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the point that even a couch potato can get poisoned by um, stuff coming out of the couch or sitting on it and stuff. So we're, we're really thrilled that, that you and Tim are on the, on the show today because there are just so many problems that uh, it's great to hear about some legislative action to address those. And by the way, if we're successful, uh, we're, we're going to be creating a new problem because we're going to have this enormous, you know, 80,000 is probably a good number. We're going to have this enormous list of chemicals to assess and, uh, and then all sorts of proposed alternatives to assess. So we're creating a lot of work um, for ourselves if we can pass this, uh, but let's get on with it. Well, to me, it seems entrepreneurial that if someone knows of a safe alternative, once this bill's passed, they're going to come to your door, I would think. I would think you're right. And I think that ultimately that will be the legacy of this when it becomes a law. Uh, we will see it uh, producing results probably faster than we could have anticipated and certainly better than we might have anticipated. But at the moment, there is such resistance to any kind of change uh, that we've been having a hard time getting it passed, even though it seems self-evidently an intelligent uh, way to go. Yeah, this is your hard work is so important because industries are reluctant to see any change, and so often in history, when they make the change, they they're glad they did. But to do that initial changing of equipment or changing of supplier is is an issue. You know, we had the whole problem with the uh, ozone hole and a. Montreal Protocol of 28 nations agreeing to no longer use chlorinated fluorocarbons. And, um, and so that was the agreement. And fortunately, uh, DuPont or Monsanto, who made Freon, was ready with a safe alternative. And uh, we went right to work and were able to do that, repair the, uh, the ozone hole. And um, I don't think the chemical con- con- companies were hurt at all by the switch. No, and you know, inevitably, where there is some substitution, there may be some dislocation. Some companies may uh, be involved with very hazardous chemicals, not be as adept uh, at making the transition, and somebody else would come along and take their market share. That there will be that kind of economic dislocation. There's no question about that. But where you know you could look at that as a threat to some companies, it's actually an opportunity for a lot of other companies, and especially if we leapfrog from where we are right now, it's an opportunity for enormous economic growth in Massachusetts because we're going to be talking about a global marketplace that heretofore was closed to us that this bill would encourage to be opened. It really makes Massachusetts an incubator for people to come up with solutions. And in my experience with the uh, chlorinated fluorocarbons was that, you know, the providers for the materials to do these processes are pretty savvy to what the options are out there and are pretty easy to retool once they know that, you know, usually the safer alternative costs more, um, and it's often could be because there's so little market share, but once you make it the, the market thing, then it's, you know, surety is a good thing in business. Mm, sure. And the other thing is that, you know, once we, well, it's not even once we, as we continue moving down the direction of full cost accounting and accounting for uh, the liability that a company might experience if it is continuing to sell dangerous chemicals out into the marketplace, companies are going to have to take into account the fact that although the chemical may be cheaper to buy, ultimately its full cost is going to be greater because they're going to get sued. Mm. Yeah, or they'll be regulated and they'll be fined for not doing it properly or something. Exactly. So uh, you mentioned that industries are slow to change. People are slow to change. Yeah, we Uh, all are. (laughs) Anybody listening to this knows that their experience with New Year's resolutions is not too encouraging. No. We all make plans to change, and then we have a hard time doing it. So uh, it's, it's, just, it's built into the DNA of who we are individually as well as collectively, uh, and it's the role of government, really, uh, to encourage change where there's some need to do that that otherwise goes unmet. Yeah, we, we need reasons to, yeah. Sometimes it helps to have a little prodding from oh, yeah. government or Big Brother or something to 
do the right thing just to get us off our stuff from doing it. Exactly. Uh, Tim, does the way the legislation is written, does that reflect some of this, or can you tell us a bit about the actual bill? Sure. Um, so the bill itself has been, you know, around for, what, 10, 10 years? 12 years. 10, 12 okay. years uh, since it was first filed. And, and, and it evolves. And it, and it has evolved, and, and it continues to evolve uh, as we try to uh, incorporate, you know, the best ideas and the best practices um, that we've seen from a lot of other states. And, and you know, Massachusetts was kind of ahead of the four uh, with Tura back in the day, um, and you know they did a really good job removing toxic chemicals and substances from the environment uh, through manufacturing within the state. And uh, unfortunately, uh, while that program has been extremely su- successful, uh, we haven't filled in the gap of consumer products, which is where most people are probably going to be getting exposed these days because we've done such a good job on the other side. Um, a lot Excuse of other me, Tim, Tura is Toxic Use Reduction Act. Uh, toxic Use Reduction Act. Yep. And so that was was passed originally in the late 80s, and it was updated in in 2006. Okay, so that's been your sort of tool to work to advance this. I'm sorry? That's sort of been a tool for you to advance this uh, safer alternative stuff. Well, exactly. It's basically the the point of this bill is to fill uh, a a hole in in the current Tura um, structure, which is that it doesn't cover consumer products. And one of the challenges in addressing consumer products is that the, the substances that are at issue are uh, being put into the products outside of the state. So whereas Tura was addressing manufacturing within the state and, and pre- it was pretty much contained within our borders, uh, so it was easier to to address, uh, now we're trying to force changes in the supply chain that can be out of, outside of the state and, and are often outside of this country. Um, so that's been a, a new set of challenges, but we've uh, tried to incorporate um, some ideas from people who work in the field and, and in the state government and uh, over at the Toxic Use Reduction Institute up at UMass Lowell uh, for ideas on how to best uh, address that. Yikes, that sounds complicated. I almost wish you hadn't brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. this is extremely complicated, um, and that you know, in part accounts for the fact that we've been struggling with this for a dozen or so years. Uh, it's, but it is. there's no question about the fact that it's complicated, and you know, your listeners will may well remember, at least listeners of a certain age, may well remember a debate that I remember was raging while my kids were young about what's better, cloth diapers or disposable diapers. Uh, and there were studies after studies. Uh, the, the, yeah, there was a whole series of studies uh, that concluded, in some cases, that cloth diapers are better for the environment, and in other cases, that disposables are better for the environment. Uh, and... It sort of depends on what metrics you use, and these are not black and white kinds of questions that are being asked. There's a there's an opportunity cost and a chemical cost and an economic cost to almost anything that we do, and it's not always easy to figure out what's the best way to go. Jay, wasn't the diaper issue had to do with water use? Well, the diaper Both issue on the one hand was landfill. Like, if one uses more water, then it wouldn't be as good as the other, or something. Well, that's I mean, it, it was a, uh, apples and oranges. If you had um, if you were using cloth diapers, there was a lot of water, the energy to heat the water, uh, and it was the detergents that were used to wash the diapers. And all of those have some cost and some consequences. On the other side, there were the consequences of the plastic liners for these things and the chemicals that went into producing them and the impact on the on landfills of all the diapers that were getting tossed. Yeah. Um, so it it was apples and oranges, and ended up balancing out. Yeah, and and how do you know? You know, <clears throat> how do you know what's better? So there, I remember at the time, and I was just very aware of this because of my kids. Um, what looked like a simple question had no simple answer. No, but this is a little more simple because you 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 pick a specific chemical, and you say, is there an alternative? You know, or does it have to be used? I mean. Elizabeth talked a lot about fire retardant chemicals and how prevalent they were and everything. Uh, what uh, the what I've come to appreciate over time is that what seems simple to you and what seems simple to me and I, <laughs> I, I probably in this conversation would have a fairly easy agreement about what makes sense, but then we talk to somebody, uh, talk to a firefighter, or talk to somebody in the fire retardant chemical industry, and we might get a completely different perspective on things. Absolutely. So, they're just. Uh, I've seen. I've seen how easy it is to talk about how simple things are, and how rarely it is as simple as we would like it to be. Right. Because usually there's a minority that need it for a different reason or something, and and their reasons are strong. 
Right, and we tried to build into this bill um, nuances that would allow for that. So we didn't say if a chemical is bad, then it's banned across the marketplace. We right. said if there's a better alternative for it in materials for couches, for example, uh, then that's where you make the substitution. But if you need that same chemical absolutely, um, uh, for uh, rugs or for furniture or for... Firemen uniforms or something, yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. We've we've tried to be responsive to the to those realities. That's excellent. We're going to take a short break and be back with Representative Jay Kaufman and Timothy Miley. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're in Massachusetts talking with State Representative Jay Kaufman and Legislative Director Timothy Miley about a 12, 12 years in the making uh, legislation for safer alternatives to toxic chemicals. And Jay was explaining how complicated it is. And uh, the second half of the show, we're going to talk about an initiative to address plastic pollution from styrofoam with State Senator Mike Barrett. And Mike just joined us on the phone. So if Mike wants to chime in about uh, our talk about the uh, safe alternatives, he's welcome to. Jay was saying what a long process it's been. And Tim was just indicating that um, here I am trying to say it, the title straight, safe alternatives to toxic chemicals, and that you're now in the process of changing a name. Is that the case? Mike? No, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, Tim. Um, let me jump in. Cause, um, yeah, yeah. Who's jumping in? Go ahead. It's Jay. Um, Jay, the issue is complicated, and marketing and talking about the issue is complicated. And we've had, I was just making a list of that. I think we've had now one, two, three, four different names for this bill. Now, admittedly, the bill has changed, but it's changed marginally. What has changed more significantly is the title, um, and which has more to do with marketing and politics than it does with substance. But mm-hmm. the first bill that I remember, the first title that I remember was an Act for Healthy Massachusetts. Um, then there was the bill that the title that you just referred to, the Safer Alternatives to Toxic Chemicals. Then last year, the filing was under the title of uh, An Act for a Competitive Economy Through Safer Alternatives to Toxic Chemicals. So there we moved to the sort of the marketplace forces mm. uh, to try to make it seem more interesting to a broader swath of people. 
Uh, the act we're, the title we're using this year is an act for healthy families and businesses in Massachusetts uh, to stress uh, both uh, sort of the health impacts and also the economic impacts at the same time. So uh, we keep trying to figure out how to do a good bill and how to sell a good bill. Oh, boy, no sooner do I print the placards to march around with and you go change the name again. Hey, it's good for the printing industry. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Act for? It's going to be called an Act for, a healthy, for Healthy Families and Businesses in Massachusetts. Great. We got them both in there, families and business. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned. If we can't get it past this term, who knows what we'll call it next term. <laughs> uh, um, Tim, do you want to tell us about some of the adjustments you're making or – Sure. Um, so traditionally, the bill had set up a, a, a process by which we identified a list of chemicals and then picked just a few of those, uh, two to five uh, every year, to go through the full process of identifying alternatives and, and then trying to move to those. And the, the drawback to that is that even though you've identified a, a quite large number of, of chemicals of concern, we're calling them, um, you're really only taking action on very few of them. And, and even over 10 years, you're only going to address uh, you know 20 or 30. Yeah. Um, so what we've tried to do as a fallback, and we, we're not getting rid of that system, but in addition to that, we are taking the chemicals, um, the full list of chemicals, which is going to be bigger because we're, we're trying to uh, make it uniform with states that have already done stuff like this, like California, Washington, and Maine. Um, we're going to narrow that list to about 50 to 70, and those are going to be priority chemicals. And while they won't go through the full process of uh, going through alternatives assessments yeah. and everything like that, they will be um, companies will be required to uh, be transparent about whether those chemicals are in their products and uh, put it into some sort of database so that they can be uh, known among among people in the public. And one thing we might try to do also is set up some sort of safer alternatives inventory. Uh, there's something similar on the federal level through the EPA, but to do something at the state level where we take these chemicals and make them known, and then also have TURI, uh, the Toxic Use Reduction Institute. Uh, publish some known alternatives for certain uses so that uh, really we can put some power into the, into the hands of businesses who uh, might be using these chemicals and they say, okay, well, now we know that we're using these and we have to disclose them. Now we know about some potential alternatives. Maybe we can look into these and, and they might be able to take some action on their own without having to go through the whole regulatory process. Excellent. Let me just build on what Tim just said. It's not only um, hopefully encouraging some better decisions on the part of businesses but also consumers. Mm-hmm. So if, if this is out and about, we've got more information than we as consumers will make choices that will in turn encourage uh, better business decisions. Yeah, that's really consistent with, uh, you know, our educated shoppers that we're seeing more and more, especially going to the grocery store and stuff. Yeah, I think we can affect a lot of change just through uh, transparency and, and you know, market forces. Yeah. We've got someone's phone ringing. Uh, hey? Uh, yes. I'm um, here. That's not my phone. Okay. Well, we'll have a little background music here. And um, uh, well, tell us a bit about the coalition building that had to go into this. Well, I am more the beneficiary of the coalition building than the architect of it. As a matter of fact, I don't claim to be the architect at all. Um, but over the years, I have watched um, it grow from a group of organizations that could, I guess, basically be identified as uh, environmental activists. Uh, we moved pretty quickly and seamlessly into organizations that represented uh, patients concerned with different illnesses that are chemically uh, generated. Um, from that, we move to sort of more public health groups in general. I'm about to go on a radio talk show. Uh, and then also, uh, oh, maybe four years or so ago, the faith communities were brought into the coalition to represent well, sort of the... Well, that's because I'm calling into a radio show. Oh. Well, that's great. You brought the faith communities into it. Exactly, because there, you know, there's some ethics here and... Um, you know, some impact on us as a society, and the faith community certainly speak to that. Uh, so I think over the years it's, it's grown from uh, groups' concerns with particular 
chemically induced maladies, uh, concerned about environmental protection. The labor unions have been a major force uh, behind this bill because they're expressing concerns uh, for worker safety and uh, workers using these chemicals. So the sort of the first line of um, attack for any uh, negative impacts of these chemicals. So it's I want to interrupt and point people to the Mass Coalition for Occupational Safety and Health. That's www.masscosh.org, which is um, the, the workers' group that you referred to. Yes, they've been a very important uh, collaborator in this. So it's an interesting mix of you know, churches and synagogues and mosques on the one hand, and then uh, labor unions on the other hand, with environment, environmental group, uh, environmental groups, uh, public safety groups. Uh, I'm sorry, public health groups, and then uh, organizations representing specific uh, diseases mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, there's a very active business coalition behind this because there are many. I mean, Staples comes to mind as one of the companies that gets it. Uh, and gets that not only uh, does being a good corporate citizen uh, uh, sort of meet their responsibilities as uh, as businesses in Massachusetts, but it's it's smart business. Oh, that's great. So it's uh, it's a pretty varied, deep and wide coalition, and it's um, it's been exciting to watch it grow, watch people and different uh, constituencies join in. Uh, because this is a really this is a shared problem and a shared opportunity. Okay, I know your time is very limited. You have to get back to the the real work that you do and uh, on Beacon Hill. Well, no, this, uh, let me just emphasize that this is the real work. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, because well, if, thank you for taking the time to talk with us because uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, where can people go for uh, more information about uh, your work and and this work? First, a quick thought. Um, uh, go ahead. If if this um, if people listening to this program can uh, help us uh, beat the drum uh, for this bill, then this is core to the work that we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to call their representatives and senators and say, support the Act for Healthy Families and Businesses in Massachusetts. So anybody listening, there's action you can take, and please please take it. Uh, there's more information on the uh, Healthy Tomorrow Coalition website. Uh, we will be updating that website as we finish dotting I's and crossing T's on this year's version of the bill. Uh, my website will have some information on it at jkaufman.com, and I am more than happy to get ideas on how to make this better, uh, how to sell it better, um, or any questions that people might have, so uh, feel free to be in contact. Thank you, Jay. Um, we will. I encourage people to contact Jay. He's most accessible as you'll see as you look at his website here, and uh, also the, uh, the website for Safer Alternatives, or no, for... Um, Healthy Tomorrow Coalition. HealthyTomorrow.org. It's as simple as that, HealthyTomorrow.org. www.HealthyTomorrow.org is the Healthy Tomorrow Coalition, and um, that's, a, that's the best place to be. You can also uh, follow along at OceanRiver.org uh, slash Hidden River, uh, and, of course, there's the, um, the workers group that we mentioned earlier and, and so forth. But, Jay, I understand that Tim had to run off to something else. Um, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Well, uh, we're, we're both, speaking for both of us, we're very excited about the fact that there's this opportunity to air, air this important issue, and I appreciate uh, you're taking your time to make it happen. And... So what's the, the timetable? It'll, it'll, it'll go into committee after it's redrafted or something? Yes, the bill filing deadline is coming up um, about 24 hours from now. Oh, my goodness. I'm that's sorry? That's great. Yes, and then uh, the clerk's office takes each of the bills that's been filed, and there'll probably be 5,000 or so of them, uh, sends them that to the appropriate committee. We assume this will go to the committee that deals with environmental issues. Uh, the committees will probably take a good couple of months to sort of make up their calendars for hearings. So sometime this spring, we're hoping this spring, uh, there'll be a hearing on this bill. Uh, that information will certainly be available on the healthytomorrow.org.org. Was it .org or .com? Uh, .org. .org. Um, and um, then, you know, with any luck, we can, uh, if, we're, if we're successful, 
and we're able to move it through the committee rapidly, then it would certainly go to the Ways and Means Committee on both the House and Senate side to assess whether there are any costs associated with it, and if so, how to meet those costs. And there will certainly be costs because some agency is going to have to oversee all this and help make determinations of what bills are, uh, I'm sorry, what chemicals are on the list of, con of chemicals of concern and providing the technical assistance to help us move away from those chemicals. So there, there will be a cost, and we're, um, one of the thorny issues is how to pay for that cost. Yes. Should, should it be fees to the companies that are uh, using the chemicals, or do we do this in some other way? So that will be uh, a separate fight. Through uh, the summer, probably. Uh, boy, if it happens this summer, we're in good shape. That would be early. Yeah. Uh, we've got a two-year legislative calendar, and um, for the last several sessions, we've been fighting this out in the last hours of a two-year calendar. So I'd be, I'd be thrilled if we were doing it partway through the first year. Thank you, Jay. It's been most informative to learn about this. Well, thank you, Rob. Uh, after this break, we'll be back with Mike Barrett. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome to the second half of Episode 74 of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. We're talking about uh, safer alternatives to chemical pollutions, chemical toxins, and uh, we were just talking to Congressman Jay Coffin about that. And now joining me for the rest of the program is Senator Mike Barrett from Lexington and Concord. And um, Mike was on the radio on an ep earlier episode when he was a candidate, Barrett. So congratulations. Why, thank you. I'm, I'm glad the voters promoted me. Now, are you up on Beacon Hill as we talk? Uh, I am not. I'm in my home office about to go off to a district meeting. So you're also the representative of Concord, and there's been a lot of news about Concord banning plastic bottles. Tell us where that's at. So, yes, uh, thanks, Rob. I'm the state senator for Concord and Lexington and seven other communities, and this uh, is one instance uh, among many where local communities, the grassroots, really have pushed the state to get with a more aggressive program. Uh, the town of Concord, to its incredible credit, uh, took the lead about a year ago in banning the use of uh, bottled water. The so-called, these are, these are uh, the acronym for the plastic used in your typical bottled water for retail sale. Is, is These are PET bottles, P-E-T. Mm. And uh, 
These are bottles that very hard. They're the, I think, the largest source of litter remaining uh, on uh, Massachusetts highways because they aren't subject to the bottle bill. They're not. They don't get you a nickel if you recycle them. They're a real source of potential pollution and litter. Uh, and the town of Concord said, "Look, no retail sales of the conventionally sized bottle." And uh, I hope to see I hope to see that action mimicked or echoed at the state level, uh, as as State Representative Jay Coffin said so eloquently in your earlier 30 minutes. Um, the state is starting to focus on safer alternatives to conventional packaging of all kinds, and the town of Concord's move to ban the sale of bottled water is, uh, I think, going to inspire statewide interest sooner or later. And, and, and I might add, not just in Massachusetts. Uh, the city of Los Angeles uh, noticed yes. the town of Concord's action and a couple of, a couple of uh, activists in, the, in the, the city of L.A. Uh, have proposed that the municipality ban sale of retail bottled water as well. So Concord's creating ripples that are reaching pretty far out. Well, it's also creating some tidal waves when the bottling corporations go apoplectic over Concord, Massachusetts. Well, they, uh, they're tempted to think that they can squash this right at the source. Uh, I think they are misreading just how anxious people are. You mentioned that I was a candidate six months ago and that I'm a new legislator, and that's true. And I can tell you that when I campaigned door-to-door last year, I expected to hear people talk about the terrible economy, and I and I did in fact hear a lot about that. I expected people to talk about the cost of health care and health insurance, even in a health care for all state, and I heard a lot of worry about the cost of health insurance. What blew me away was the sheer breadth of concern about the environment. And what's changed is that people are determined to act locally. Yes. They see this crazy weather. They feel powerless to do anything about the entire globe. They're casting around for ways to feel effective, ways to feel that they're making some small contribution. And this move to a, whether it's banning bottled water or banning the use of styrofoam, which is polystyrene, these efforts are beginning at the grassroots because, quite frankly, people feel helpless and they want to assert themselves. I think the environmental movement and the climate change community is the sleeping giant of politics in my state. I know that we're environmentally conscious, but I think we haven't begun really to realize our own strength. And that's what that's what the voters in my towns told me as I went door to door. Well, now how long have you been up on Beacon Hill? Well, I've been up on Beacon Hill now for three weeks. For three weeks. <laughs> and you really walk the talk because you've already filed a bill to prohibit the dispensing of food and disposable Food service containers made of polystyrene. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, and, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm pleased to be doing that with uh, with uh, members of the House of Representatives who've taken the lead and, and who have been interested in this when I was in the private sector. So I'm the lead Senate sponsor up there, terrific House members. And uh, yes, I would like to see us uh, move back to very sensible alternatives. Uh, we like cardboard. <laughs> Cardboard containers. Are... Mike, let me interrupt. You, you got to name those champions on the house there. Well, is it, uh, is it rep- with you or? Uh, well, I sure can. I mean, one is Representative Frank Smythek, Democrat yeah. of Brookline. Yay! Who's really uh, taken the lead on on a lot of this stuff? Frank is the House Chairman of a, a special select House Committee on Climate Change. So I'm taking my cues from Frank and from Jay Kaufman. Uh, and from others who have led the way, what I'm bringing to the table, I hope, is marching orders from my own district. Absolutely. Uh, places like Lexington and Concord. And, not, you know, we're talking Chelmsford here. We're talking uh, Sudbury. We're talking Weston, uh, the, the most urban part of my district, the city of Waltham. Uh, when I went door-to-door in Ward 4 in Waltham, which is a very nice uh, middle-class community of single-family homes. Again, I heard about the environment. I heard about jobs. I heard about jobs, I should say, in health care insurance, but there is a very strong concern about the environment that runs from the cities in my area to the towns. Yes. 
Well, you're and, definitely the person to do it. I mean, Concord's famous for being the first place the shot was fired, heard around the world for the revolution. Well, what, now, 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 now you're getting a little bit of an argument and, with Lexingtonians and, about that, Rob, with all due respect. Uh, there, there's, there's some friendly competition where the first shot was fired, but, uh, but that aside, district, there's, so no question that, that. there's no question that <laughs> Concord is uh, lending a lot of moral weight to and, and this idea that we're globally really focused, the difference, but locally active. And Concord taking the lead on bottles. This is great. That's exactly right. Uh, so tell me about this bill, To, I mean, polystyrene is like styrofoam, those clam boxes and styrofoam cups from my favorite coffee shops, so the, the low-price ones, you know. Um, this is a styrofoam tough battle. I, I try to do this and uh, talk about this in the British Virgin Islands where they cannot – the only way they dispose of things is by burning it. And so you could smell all the plastics, you know, in the air because they had no way to go around it. But the local vendors said, well, there's nothing that insulates my coffee better than styrofoam and nothing less expensive than styrofoam. You know, the, uh, Jay was saying in your earlier 30 minutes that the change really has to begin with the consumer. Mm. And I think that's true for all of us. So the... Uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I've got a, a personal to-do list. One of my New Year resolutions is to use uh, a recyclable, reusable container for my morning coffee. And sometimes I remember to bring it with me, and sometimes I don't. I fall off the wagon here, and every time I go into a local coffee shop and uh, accept a new container, now, to my credit, I won't accept styrofoam. Uh, uh, I'll use the recycled cardboard cups that a, a Starbucks or a Pete's has seen fit to use. But the best, the best alternative of all to styrofoam uh, is, uh, I mean, uh, quite yes, frankly, we're going to see a return of the lunchbox. Uh, that's going to be part of the solution as well. Uh, we've just got to, so the consum- it starts with the consumer, and I can tell you that there's all kinds of ingenuity uh, coming along with respect to a return to low-tech. Uh, this isn't futuristic stuff. It needn't be very alienating. It's actually a return in a good way to a simpler mode of living. Uh, some of us were kids in the 50s, and uh, they didn't have bottled water in the 50s, and they didn't have ubiquitous uh, styrofoam in the 50s. Uh, they didn't even have uh, clothing dryers. Uh, in the 50s where they weren't needed. I've and we a, had the milkman bringing returnable bottles. Well, and, and I've got a constituent, also happens to be in Concord, uh, a wonderful uh, woman who's uh, very interested in the return of the clothesline as an alternative oh. to over-reliance on, on electronic washer and dryers. And, uh, and I'm submitting a bill on her behalf. Because so that's something it, you almost have to do town by town, because some towns worked hard to get the image of clotheslines out of their community, and now they need to put it back in again. But, uh, her bill, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, would be subject to local approval. Right. So I'm not saying that the state legislature should come along and uh, impose clotheslines willy-nilly. What I am saying is that if uh, a local government body wants to encourage sensible energy conservation and see at least the return of the occasional clothesline as an option, they can approve it to be put on the local ballot. And if the public uh, wants to see clothesline, the end of clothesline bans, right. part of condominium associations, let's say, then if the public says so, it would only go into effect in that instance. So we Thank want to preserve... See, I've got a lot of confidence in local control. Again, Mike, what I'm seeing in my state we got to take a break, and we'll come back okay. with... Uh, Mike's um, bringing more local control up in uh, communities around Massachusetts. Terrific. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking to Massachusetts State Senator Michael Barrett who represents Lexington and Concord, and we're talking about addressing the plastic pollution problem, uh, beginning with uh, Concord's initiative to uh, ban, um, what is it, serving size plastic bottles? Uh, that, that's right. The, the typical retail Poland spring water that you see, the, the, the PET bottles there that I think are 8 ounces yeah. or so. So if you want to supersize it in this state, you can, in this town you can, but uh, stay away from it. It's it, it <laughs> such a problem. And then we were talking about that Michael, who's only been on Beacon Hill for three weeks, has already putting together legislation to prohibit the dispensing of food in disposable food service containers made from polystyrene uh, or expanded polystyrene. And that's all the generic talk for styrofoam belongs to a company, so we're not supposed to use that in legislation. That's right. But yeah. uh, it's so good to... Um, and we were, t- and I, I've sit up here in my office with a bright orange metal, um, Dunkin' Donuts, um, coffee cup that, you know, got screw on top. And, you know, I go down there with my, my refillable bottle to Dunkin' Donuts and, um, they are so happy to see it. They charge me less per glass. I think I get a, a medium, I get a large for the price of a medium or something. Oh, good for you. Well, that's a, that's yeah, a, Dunkin' good Donuts deal will do that. And then, uh, if my son brings the cup down, they'll say, oh, you know that guy who owns the cup. So, unfortunately, I'm the only guy in Harvard Square who frequents Dunkin' Donuts with his own uh, D&D cup. Maybe there are others who use their own cups or something. But, um, it, it's you know, these are good habits that we're learning just to make an improvement on our environment, what we can do to help. Um, turns out, you know, by golly, you know, there's no doubt about it, coffee tastes better in a reusable container than it does in a styrofoam cup. Well, it is all about... It really is all about uh, personal behavior change. And, and aren't a lot of issues coming down to that? The next frontier in healthcare uh, is personal management of your own chronic conditions, what you do to keep yourself healthy in between visits to the doctor's office. And now the next great wave of activism in, on the environment is what you can do to live more simply. Uh, there's there's something to be said for addressing the problem right at the level of our personal habits. E- more easily said than done. I, I have trouble with all this myself, but I'm getting better. Well, my new c- campaign is to use a beer glass for drinking water because our tap water here in Cambridge, and I live in Somerville, you know, it's good ta- good stuff to drink. And, uh, uh, listen, the Quabbin Reservoir. Yeah. yeah. And so if I... Um, and then I find if I have a beer glass, I, I, my, my hand thinks I'm lifting a beer to my lips, and so I drink it more readily. 
And, now, let me, uh, let me uh, offer a report from another front altogether. My wife and daughter and I visited our other daughter who's spending the year doing research in Australia. Australia is much greener in very mundane day-to-day ways than is Massachusetts or the rest of the U.S. Australia really poses a friendly challenge to our environmental consciousness. And one of the things you notice there, where they also encourage the use of tap water instead of bottled water, is that they have very elegant, fluted bottles, capable, one would think, of holding fine wine or champagne. Oh, that's great. But the bottles, which sit in the middle of tables in the fancier restaurants, contain Australia's spring water, Australia's tap water. And it's a reusable, fluted, beautifully shaped water bottle that is washable, not made of plastic but of glass, and that uh, is reused as a matter of course in outdoor cafes and preference to bottle, to up to plastic. So there are all kinds of ways to dress up with a sheen of elegance the fundamental practice of recycling and of using uh, water the way nature prepared it. And one of the big sellers in Crate and Barrel at the Christmas time was these, you know, carbonation machines that can pump carbon into, you know, fizzy stuff into your uh, bottled water, into your tap water. That's that's right. Uh, You know, and needless to say, we all save a little money if we uh, manage to take to these habits, as something you indicated with respect to your reusable Dunkin' Donuts container. Yeah. There's there's, uh, money to be saved in simpler living, and there's nature to be spared. so the frontier is you and me. And and, well, the third thing is your own health. There have you know, been conclusive studies like Thea uh, Colburn's Our Stolen Futures about how plastic bottles of certain designs um, are bad for our health. And uh, we have a real problem of people's bodies being polluted from various toxic chemicals, which is sort of the purpose of this program. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's the way that, we can that, get into exactly right. more inert materials like ceramic and aluminum and so forth well, the healthier we'll be. Yeah, no, there's, there's a real worry. Uh, I've noticed some of my friends use plastic bottles, the very bottles that the town of Concord's banned, in a reusable way. So they will keep filling their plastic bottles with tap water, and they hope that this is a gesture in the direction of environmental sensitivity. But the public health problem there for them is that these plastics degrade and eventually will leach substance into the water they're drinking. So I do not want my constituents drinking plastic. I want them uh, moving away from the use of uh, pet bottles altogether uh, on behalf of safer and stabler means of of containing liquids. So, Michael, where can people go to learn more about your work or if they have comments about your efforts? Well, I'm going to give you an email address because I don't yet have my state senate website set up. Um, so people could always send me uh, an email at mike.barrett, and that's two R's and two T's, at masenate.gov. So it's M-I-K-E dot B-A-R-R-E-T-T at masenate.gov. M-A-Senate is one word. Love to hear from people. I can tell you that uh, having returned to the fray, I was a state senator once upon a time, from Cambridge, Belmont, Watertown, and Austin, Brighton in the 80s and 90s. I've been away from this for 18 years. I'm very impressed with the amount of citizen activism upon my return. Things have gotten better. People are more assertive. They are concerned. They're teaching me a lot. Oh, that's great. Mike, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Well, good to talk to you, Rob. Have a good day. So that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.